Summer's back. Man, what, three times in a row now? We're, we're in for a win. I think I'm just here for the series. Yeah, that's great. I sort of wrapped her into it. She can't leave now. But anyway, we're, we've got a really fun quarter door today. Um, what are we talking about, Summer? So today we're looking at the end of life choice bill and um, hearing two people um, just discuss that from different perspectives. Yeah, so we're talking to, to Hiranui Clark and... Chris Douglas Hurawai, um, and we're coming at it from a bit of a different angle. Um, we're talking about it from, I guess, a Tikara Māori sort of perspective, Te Māori informed perspective. Um, and both Chris and Te Hiranui have different perspectives on this. Um, so Te Hiranui will be voting yes, and Chris is going to be voting no. So, yeah, I think it's a really interesting all, and I guess one of the things that I... I think I love the most about this is just the way that these two men have been able to have this dialogue in such a respectful, compassionate, and loving way. Let's get into it. All right, let's do it. Uh, hey, kia ora team, how are you guys doing? So yeah, pretty excited about this this topic today. I know you guys both have um, different perspectives sort of on uh, the end of life choice bill, and we'll sort of mm. dig into that, but I guess to start, it'd be really interesting to hear um, just a little bit about yourselves, who you are, and I guess why you're passionate about this korero. Um, but oh. why don't we start with you, Chris? Kia ora. Oh, tēnā koe hoa. Kia koe anoko i te hurinui. Nei rātame kia koe takurangatira. Kia ora koutou. My name is Chris Huriwai. I'm an Anglican priest based in Tairawhiti in Gisborne. Um, I live here uh, with my wife Charlene and our daughter Talmihia, and she is wonderful. My, my, my uh, starting point for the quarter around the end of life choice bill really stems from my ministry as a minita here in Tairawhiti and my experience of, I suppose you could say, of, of suffering, of death, um, of the tikanga that surrounds that, of uh, this idea that our people are already disadvantaged when it comes to sort of health inequalities and things like that. Um, so my perspective is largely based on on those uh, fakaru when it comes to to this, the protecting our people, basically. Oh, yeah. Kia ora, Chris. We'll, we'll come through some of that stuff. Te, te Hiranui, um, how about yourself, mate? Yeah, tēnā koe, Aaron. Ko reo ko uh, koe uh, ke a koe hoki uh, Chris. Uh, nei te mihi ki a korua. And tēnā koe tono mai ki au ki te, uh, ki te whakapuaki i oku nei fakaru mo tēnei o ngā kaupapa. Uh, ke a koe Chris, koutou koutou whānau, uh, tēnei e mihi ana ki a, ki a koutou, i runga anō i te, te raonga kapua pauri i tau ki runga i a koutou. Uh, kei, te, kei te mihi, kei te tangi tonu i mātou uh, ki, ki a koe, ki a koutou rā, uh, ki tō tāua nei pāpā. Kia ora. Uh, nā reira, uh, tēnei e mihi ana ki a koe, o te rā ki a korua, tēnā tātou. Uh, yeah, uh, kia ora Aaron, thank you for inviting me into this discussion. Yeah, uh, I'm in Christchurch, I'm a senior lecturer in the College of Education at uh, the University of Canterbury. My ideas, I suppose, are informed uh, from personal experience in watching uh, and witnessing whānau suffering uh, 
through pain uh, until their their deaths. And so, um, yeah, I suppose my um, my are informed uh, through emotion and how how um, and the discussion that was had between myself and my mum. Uh, myself, my mum, and my sister, who both passed painful deaths. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where I come from. My perspective comes from. Then I Good. Thanks for that. Um, I guess like one of the things that uh, I just I want to sort of talk to the two of you about was you know I've heard you both discuss around how your view is formed by Te Ao Māori and, and Tikana, um, and 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 how you sort of approach this corridor through that lens um and i wonder if you could maybe unpack that for us um and maybe we'll start with you again te Hiranui. um yeah how, how do you come at it through that that angle yeah i um it's my understanding that choosing euthanasia uh, is a transgression of tikanga maori so this is this is something that i've been thinking about for many many years you know 20 years in fact uh, my mum passed um, in uh, the 12th of May 2001. And so the discussion that we had prior to her passing has um, led me to you know, wānanga with myself and um, to decide what's right for me, I suppose. So you know, I suppose to give a bit of context is that my mum was, uh, was uh, one of the leaders on, of our hapū, she was, the, you know, at times, the only kaikaranga that was available on our marae. Uh, and secondly, she was a very uh, staunch Catholic. And so um, when she was sick, when she was uh, into her last few weeks before her passing, I sat down and spoke to her. One of the things that uh, yeah, I was, uh, because I was unfamiliar with being in that environment, was that her mind was still sharp. And she said to me, look, boy, there's nothing wrong with my head. You know, it's my body that's, uh, that's letting me down. And we, we began talking about the, the pain and suffering that she'd been enduring. And she said, which really surprised me, if euthanasia was available to her as a choice, she would take it. And so, you know, that uh, got me uh, thinking, wow, uh, that's a transgression of not only tikanga Māori as I understand it, but it's also a transgression of her faith as I, as I understand it. And so that really got me thinking about what is going on here. Uh, is euthanasia, um, can it be, is it really a transgression of uh, tikanga Māori? And so recently I've just... Uh, been looking at some of our oral traditions and there are oral traditions that support the idea the notion that in some instances assisted dying is okay assisted dying in in our understanding of tikanga is okay and so i've that's how i've sort of come to to the conclusion that well actually uh, euthanasia in our uh, and, and, you know, uh, we as Māori are not a homogenous uh, people. So what's right for, for me doesn't have to be right for Chris, doesn't have to be right for uh, for you, doesn't have to be right. For, so what's right for our hapū doesn't have to be right for the next hapū. Mm. And I think they have the autonomy, we have the autonomy to make those sorts of calls. Mm. Tēnā koe. Thanks, brother. 
Um, Chris, how about yourself? How do you view this through Tio Māori Tikana sort of perspective? I think just bouncing off something that Turinui uh, finished off, that idea, I think we fall into a fallacy often in these arguments where tikanga Māori is one homogenous thing, where mm-hmm. all Māori think, act, talk, and understand the world the same way. And we know that that's simply not true. Like, I, I'm, I'm here in Ngāti I'm from here in Ngāti um, and within our iwi, there's radically different approaches to everything, let alone something as sensitive as euthanasia. Um, so I think it's it's good that we name that from the outset, that there is no one infallible tikanga. I think the, the other starting point from my perspective, uh, from my Tao Māori perspective, is keeping in mind that Tuhurinui and I actually, we're, we're running parallel for most of this argument. Our starting point is the same, the care um, of our people, the concern for our people. It's just we end up in quite different spaces at the end of that corridor. So, you know, 99% of this, we're tracking along together and we're agreeing the whole way. And then our just our destinations are slightly different. So we're, um, for me, the care and concern for, for our people manifests in me being on the no side, but Te Hurunui manifests by being on the yes side. And I think we need to um, acknowledge that too, that both of our concerns are for the well-being of our people. Mm. Um, and I think that that's, tr- that's probably, if there was one universal tikanga Māori, that's it. Uh, this idea of aroha uh, mm. and manaki for our people, uh, that's the tikanga that we're both uh, running by, that's the tikanga that informs our perspective in this debate. Um, and so that's basically my starting point for the tikanga perspective on this kaupapa. I think the reason why I end at a slightly different point um, then what Te Hurunui ends up at is, if I'm being honest, probably my re- my religious leanings. I'd be naive to think that they don't impact in some way on, on what I think, even though those opinions aren't manifested in my arguments a lot of the time. They're, they're always there sort of um, rooting me uh, in this world of ours. Mm. Um, but that, that Te Māori perspective around tikanga and whether this is something our tipuna practiced or didn't practice or actively um, fought against, I think is actually a bit of a non-issue because we're not our tipuna. They're mm. not in mm. te hurihuri. They're not here. They're not faced with these questions um, and these dilemmas. We are. And we form our perspectives as best we can, eh, bringing the best of our whakapapa and our tradition and our tikanga together with the reality that we now live in a world that says people don't actually have to suffer if they don't want to. Um, and, and while our ancestors might not have called it euthanasia, there was definitely that practice. Hey? Like we have practice um, of whare mate. When someone's so ill and there's no hope for them, uh, you'd, you'd send them off. Hey? Some tribes would send them off, set them up in the whare and leave them there to let nature take its course. That's, that's uh, traditional euthanasia, if, if you, you sort of pick up on, on my drift. Mm. My, um, my whakaro around whether... Um, euthanasia is what we should be doing at the moment, uh, really rests on this idea that uh, we, it's not for us to be an act, have play an active role in that sequencing, if you know what I mean. So that example of whare mate, that wasn't us going out and actively killing someone, that's us stepping back from the natural progression of that person's sickness, right? Um, so maybe it's, it could be aligned to something like, like our papa, uh, who recently passed away, down there in Christchurch, he decided to not eat anymore and to not drink anymore. Now, I'm hard-pressed to call that euthanasia, but there might be a bit of a parallel going on there. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, that's basically my tikanga uh, perspective that our people are what's, what's important. They need to be protected. Their integrity needs to be protected. Their mana needs to be protected. And because of that, I find myself falling on the side, I would actually say of caution rather than opposition. And I guess um, coming, coming to that, and I'll come to you as well too, Hirano, because I'd love to hear your perspective on this. One of the big concerns is around the inequality in our health system, um, mm. you know, and I guess the racism in our health system and that, you know, we know that Māori are disproportionately um, harmed and, and not supported by the system as it is. Is that informing your opinion a little bit, Chris? Are you concerned about that? that as well I, i'm i'm wildly concerned about that you know the um the recent uh waitangi claim led by lady Tudati moxon um unearthed all of that eh? not only is our health system institutionally racist but it's disproportionately personally racist as well that means practitioners are disproportionately uh racist in that industry and so if if we have that reality sitting alongside legalized and, and sorry for, for using maybe what is a, probably a bit of a hard, harsh turn of phrase, but legalised killing of our people, um, I simply don't trust the health system to do that. I, I barely trust them to look after our pakeke at the moment, let alone when there's a mechanism that would allow them to legally kill our pakeke, our vulnerable people. Um, and I, and you know, I, think of, I think of them at the moment, eh? and, and what's the lowest common denominator eh, is if, if the vulnerable people in our society and Maori society and society in general are telling us that they're scared that they're going to be killed, then for me, that's enough to say, well, even if I am pro-euthanasia for uh, the purposes of protecting my whanaunga, of my vulnerable whanau, I'm willing to let that personal uh, choice slide to protect their life, if that makes any sense. Thanks. Thanks. What about you, Tehirano? Like, um, is this a concern you have, and like, how do you feel like this will be um, protected against for our people? Yeah, uh, I have to say I agree with everything Chris has said. That um, uh, you know, Waikato University, for instance, is a is a is a fantastic um, example of uh, structural racism, inherent racism, and so racism is. Um, inherent basically in, in the, everything we do in this country. And the health system is one of the highlights of that as well. My response to that though, is that you know, we, we have uh, tried to remedy those um, inequities for the last 150, 160 odd years. Do we, uh, do we have the time? And do, we have the patience, but do we have the time to wait another 150, 170 years to get to this point again? Um, or do they have to work independent of each other? You know? So can we have euthanasia as an option, but also uh, at the same time try to remedy and continue to remedy those inequities that we have in both the health system, education, uh, housing, you name it, every social uh, aspect of this um, of, of, that we have within this country, can they not work side by side? Mm. So that that would be how I would respond to that. Do you, do you think to her to know that um, there is enough safety? You know, and it sounds like Chris doesn't doesn't believe there is. Do you think the safety mechanisms are there? Yeah, well, I've um, you know, I've viewed the um, uh, the legislation as it stands. I do have my doubts. I do have my doubts because um, because uh, it doesn't matter what law has been passed, 
someone has tried to exploit the loophole in the law. And, uh, you know, although it looks reasonably watertight at the moment, I know that someone or someones is going to try and find a loophole in that law and exploit it. Uh, That should be something that we, uh, that shouldn't happen, but we can expect to happen. And and so um, uh, I'm hoping, I'm always hopeful, uh, looking on the positive side that it's not our people who are doing that, but um, but because we're so dispro- disproportionately represented in those statistics, it is likely that our people will be the ones looking at that. Thanks, Tim. And and I guess the, another side of this is um, I've also heard this conversation um, sort of couched within I guess Tino Rangateratanga Mana Motahaka. Like, is that sort of part of your perspective, Te Hiranui? Like, um, do you believe that? It's part of that self-determination. Yeah, I think there are different levels of tenoranga teratanga. Uh, so I, I've heard um, many people believe that tenoranga teratanga rests with the collective. While I agree with that, I also believe that there is a, a certain amount of tenoranga teratanga or you know, autonomy that rests with the individual. So the tenoranga teratanga that rests with uh, the collective, in my understanding of it, uh, for kaupapa that have to do with the collective, that affect the collective. Tenoranga teratanga that uh, rests with the individual, my understanding is, is um, uh, for issues, concerns that uh, concern the individual. Yeah? And that may be widened slightly to widen to uh, and also include the whanau. And I think that's probably where the discussion is going, is that should Fano be involved in that final decision making? It's my belief that uh, the final decision rests with the individual. However, Fano need to be involved in the individual's reasoning for choosing to end their life using this uh, euthanasia. How do, how do you test coercion in that in that system? Do you do you believe? Yeah, that's very difficult. Very difficult to to establish that coercion has occurred. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm I'm thinking that where there are a number of Fano involved in the discussion for the individual to choose to uh, choose euthanasia, yeah, Fano themselves would have to moderate and monitor what's happening in, during those discussions, uh, because yeah, there is certainly. There is certainly the ability for, um, or the opportunity for individuals to be coerced into taking that option. And so that's why I think the discussion needs to um, include whānau um, before the final decision is made by that individual. How about you, Chris? How do you respond to that? What's, um, what's your belief around whether this is uh, an issue of self-determination in tēnā ranga tēnā or not? Well, I think I'm, I'm probably definitely one of those people who take a slightly different perspective on tenoranga tiratanga. I, I think there is no individual without the collective. Um, that, that old whole idea, right? I am because we are. I couch myself in my whakapapa, I couch myself in my pepeha. And without those reference points, I'm, I don't know how to understand myself. I don't have a, um, a touchstone for my point of view or for my worldview. Uh, and so because of that, I think that tenoranga tiratanga is couched in the collective. But I, I do wonder if there is, you know, and people way smarter than me have been trying to figure this out for a lot longer than I have. But if tenoranga tiratanga does rest in the collective, then perhaps mana motuhake uh, rests in the individual. This is one of the, the, the sticking points for me. 
is uh, the part of the bill that basically says no one has to know except you, um, which is a real big concern for me. And I, I'm, to be honest, actually, I sort of struggle to articulate why that's a concern. Um, but I just, I sort of, I feel it in my bones that that this is something that, if nothing else, no one should have to be making these decisions alone. Mm. Uh, something as simple as that. Um, even if your whole whānau disagrees with you, I think that the tikanga imperative to love and support our whānau would trump um, all of those issues if it came down to something as nitty gritty as this. That an entire, like I, speaking for me personally, if I had a whānau member who decided to take up euthanasia, my, the fact that I'm against it would be a distant second to ensuring that that person is cared for um, and they exit this life in the way that they want to do that. So while I do think that tenoranga tiratanga is vested in the collective, I don't think that there's an onus on Māori to have to therefore uh, use the collective as their foundation point or even their starting point for making decisions. Uh, because, you know, the natural extension of that is, is I would run every decision in my life past my whānau, hapu and iwi, and none of us do that. In fact, the opposite's true. We probably try and keep as much to ourselves as we're up to. Philosophically, tenoranga tiratanga rests in the collective. Practically, I don't think that that's the case. Kia And, and uh, one of the other big concerns that I think are out there is that this will devalue uh, potentially life, right, um, in, in our community. And there's a concern for our rangatahi um, that are struggling, and I know there's sort of provisions in the bill around mental health, but that it'll send a different message. Um, te Hiranui, like, how do you, like, what do you think around that? Do you have concerns there? Um, not, not from a Māori perspective. I think uh, Māori, uh, the values that we have of manakitanga, aroha, um, uh, like uh, Chris said, trump everything else that happens in our world. Yeah, I don't think, in my opinion, that life will be devalued. I do think that our rangatahi are probably a lot more uh, inquisitive, a lot more inquisitive and inquiring and analytical than certainly I, I was at their age. Uh, so I come from an age where you did what you were told because that was the way it was. And um, when you question, as to, oh, why do we have to do it like this? Because that's the way it's always been, boy. Uh, whereas our rangatahi today, they wouldn't settle for, for that, and they don't. They continue to ask questions. <laughs> they continue to ask questions. And if they don't get the answer um, clearly, the message clearly, then they'll go somewhere else and find the answer, yeah, like Google. Uh, <laughs> so I don't think um, uh, that life is such, if we use the values that uh, our tūpuna passed down to us, to guide our lives, as we generally do, uh, will be um, devalued. However, yeah, that's speaking from a perspective of our Māori people who have been brought up with those values. And there's a whole heap of uh, rangatahi and whānau out there that haven't been. And so to, I wouldn't be able to speak on their behalf. How about yourself, Chris? Can you remind me of the questions? Sorry? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah. In terms of, um, well, you know, devaluation of life, yeah, right? devaluation of life. Is there a concern here that by bringing in this bill, um, that'll send some mixed messages in our society, but also devalue that that real strong value of life within our society? And if you think about Savarangatahi, that you know maybe mm -hmm. struggle with sort of mental health, mental illness, and um, what message that will send to them? 
I think um, I think I'm with Tehudunui on this one. I give our young people a hell of a lot more credit um, than what a lot of other people might. I think um, that, like Tehudunui was saying, they're inquisitive, they're vibrant, they're intelligent, um, they're visionary. Um, they understand the world they live in and we live in better than a lot of us do. Um, so uh, they live in a world where this, like for some of them, eh, where this discussion has been happening their whole life. Yeah. Around euthanasia, so for us, for some of us, it might be like, well, this is a really new thing to us, but for them, it's just like, oh, there's that corridor again. And yeah. I think um, that that's something that Turunu was touching on the idea that that we need to be open to have that wānanga with everyone, with our young people, talk super openly about life, death, uh, how hard uh, life can be, mental illness, and all that sort of stuff. And then what you produce at the end of that is actually a young person um, who's as, as best as they can be being a young person in this te hudi has their head screwed on in, in a way that means um, they can approach take like this uh, a lot more mature, with a lot more maturity than perhaps what some of us who were basically told to be seen and not heard uh, would have if we were their age. Uh, so I think by the time you get a teenager who's 15, they're a hell of a lot, a lot older than what perhaps even I was at 15. And I'm saying that as, you know, as a 34 year old. So, um, whether I think this will devalue life, uh, here's a pretty cynical response to that question. No more than anything the government's already doing to devalue life for Māori at the moment. So, you know, no, no, no more, for example, than the beneficiary bashing that already happens and that's commonplace, uh, unfortunately, in Aotearoa, New Zealand at the moment. No more than the laws that are passing in places like Tauranga and trying to be passed here in, in Gisborne around making it illegal to even be homeless on a public street which is essentially meaning that it's illegal to be human. Uh, no more than all of those rules that are set out uh, by government um, to try and shift society's problems, quote unquote, um, out of uh, the light of day and into the shadows. So that, that's quite a, a cynical answer to, to that question. <laughs> um, but, but it's not as if we live in a world where our politicians and the world generally is encouraging the value of life. What is the value of life to us here and now uh, is, a, is sort of a, a question that I would ask in response to a question like that. Eh? Does it further add to like the disintegration of, of the, the, um, the value that we place on life? I'm, I'm sort of neither here nor there on whether it does or doesn't. I was reading, I, mean, I can't for the life of me remember the name of the, the article, but I was reading something recently that basically said in jurisdictions where this has become legal, People who wouldn't have normally wanted it don't all of a sudden wake up one morning and go out and ask for it, oh. if, if that makes sense. So, so unless you were already there in your thinking anyway, it's not encouraging heaps of people who were, you know, yesterday had this amazing value placed on life and the next day seemingly don't care. That's oh. not the case at all. And I think um, stats like that need to help guide the situation too, rather than perhaps sort of our reckons uh, in our emotions, which, are, which I'm unfortunately quite um, fond of placing all my arguments on. <laughs> um, but it's good eh, to, to have a well-rounded approach to this. Um, so yeah, summary A, I think our young people will surprise us if we let them. Uh, I also think that if our government wants to start valuing life, they're going to have to do a lot more than just not pass this bill, which has already been passed anyway. So, Actually, can I jump in there too, Aaron, um, yeah, just to... Uh, just to support uh, the esteem, I suppose, that I hold our young people in. 
Um, I've actually, you know, I'm undecided on the other referendum as to which way I'm going. And so I've actually been asking you know, young people if they were eligible to vote. So these are six, 14, 16 year olds. What, how would they vote? And I've been very surprised by the answers I've been getting, you know, because I expected they'd all go, yeah, go, you know, we, we should, um, we should legalize cannabis. But I've been getting uh, various answers, you know, no, we shouldn't because this, this and this. Mm. Yes, we should because this, this and this. And so while my, um, my decision on that referendum has shifted slightly, uh, it has shifted because they've influenced my decision making. Because at the end of the day, uh, it's going to affect them more than it is going to affect me. Good. Good. Awesome. Um, I guess as we're starting to you know wrap wrap this up, um, what's 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 the most important thing you know that you'd like people to be thinking about as or to center as they they try to make this decision. You know, I mean, that's a big decision, right? This referendum. And mm. I know there's some people out there that would say, hey, this actually politicians should have made the decision, you know, mm. because it's a huge decision. and There's so much research and understanding that's needed to even try to get your head around this. Um, but end of the day, we have to make a decision. So, I mean, you know, for you, like what, what is the most important thing that you'd like people to center in this corridor as they go to, to polling booth on voting day? Um, we'll start with yourself, Chris. I think, um, well, first of all, just touching on something you mentioned, Aaron, that idea that we we might we shouldn't be the ones making this call. Mm. I, I'm not I'm not a huge um, follower of politics, but I do know that it's already passed and it's already received yeah. royal assent. So yeah. I'm not totally sure why we're doing this, um, but I, I would agree. I think that this should have stayed uh, in the house and they should have made the decision and stood by their decision at least. Um, but like you say, we're, we're going to have to make the call. So how do we make that call? I think we approach it and, and make the call, um, like I said, probably at the top of this interview, eh? from the perspective of those who are most vulnerable. Um, and for, for, for some of us, those people who are most vulnerable, um, uh, the, the disabled or the marginalized, and for some of us, those people who are most vulnerable are the ones who are suffering and dying a painful death when they don't have to. Um, so I think... If, if we approach this with that whakaro in mind, eh, not about what's good for me and Chris here in Tūranga, um, but think of the most vulnerable person who you know, and then vote accordingly, that you're protecting their rights, that you're protecting their interests, that you're protecting their mana and their rangatiratanga. And again, eh, maybe a bit of a cop-out answer because that could result in either of the uh, voting either way. But I think that's probably a better approach than you know saying, well, you know, do you want to kill Nan or don't you want to kill Nan? I think those arguments are super disingenuous and they don't help people who are on the fence. I'd much rather someone get to that polling booth and say, yep, I'm voting in favour of this because I watched mum die and when she died, she said to me, I wish I didn't have to go through this. You know, that, that would um, mean more to me and make me think that voices are being heard than if I was just out on the corner of the road with a placard saying, you know, life is sacred, protect life. Uh, so that that would be my um, my cordial to those who have um, yet to make up their mind. Go in there with the fakaro of the most vulnerable person you know and vote accordingly. Chris, thanks, mate. And how about yourself, Tehiranoi? What what do you want to leave people with? What do you think they you'd like them to centre as they come to the decision? 
Yeah, uh, kia ora Chris, kia ora for that quarter, Chris, and um, yeah, I really, um, really support what Chris has said, although my, um, my perspective is slightly different in that uh, it's all about choice. And so Chris sort of touched on it uh, in his last um, answer when he said that, you know, people who are against it don't suddenly wake up the next day and say, right, I'm going to do this. They normally decide to go through uh, the different process of process we have at the moment. And so they've chosen to do that. And so mine is about choices, about if someone chooses to, and they, they want to end the pain and end their life, then they should have the opportunity to make that choice. And, you know, the reason why we're actually having this referendum is because uh, although it's passed through um, and been given the stamp of approval, New Zealand First, as a coalition partner, put their foot down and says, uh, this, this bill won't be passed, enacted, unless more than 50% uh, of, of New Zealand agree to it. And so that's why it's, uh, it's at referendum stage. Um, yeah, but that's, that, that is my, um, the only thing I would ask is that you allow people to make that choice, to have the opportunity to make the choice. Hey, kia ora, team. And thank you so much for um, your time, both of you. I know you're super busy and got your own sort of stuff going on, um, but really appreciate your whakaro and um, appreciate this is a heavy conversation and the honesty and the realness and the rawness that you've both brought to it. Um, and also um, how sort of loving and respectful that you've both been through this. It's, it's, an, it's, it's a conversation that I think we can get into um, and emotions can get quite high because it's, it's important. Yeah. Um, but I think you've both modeled to us um, how it is possible to have important corridor in a way that is respectful of one another and the different perspectives that exist. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and I'll let you both get on with your days. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pretty heavy corridor and really important and, and important decision we're facing very soon. Um, I mean, Summer, what, what did you think of that conversation? I was really glad to have the opportunity to, to hear that discussion and hear um, the different ideas and, and perspectives there. I feel as a Pākehā woman that I don't want to say too much of my own perspective, but just want to, to really listen and really let that, the corridor we've heard soak in. I think that's kind of my initial response. Yeah, I think, so in preparation for this conversation, I listened to a lot of debates um, just to get my head in, the, head in the game. And one of the things I noticed, which maybe is a more product of our society at the moment, was how toxic the conversations were. They were very much, uh, I guess, angry, demeaning of one another, a lot of put-downs, a lot of just almost like a competition, a game or a sport, you know, just just trying to win. But something that I really appreciated in this corridor um, was just the way that these two men showed each other respect and were fair to one another, and they really sought consensus. I think there was a lot of agreement there. Yeah. I, I think another thing is is that you could tell that they both really cared about people, that they're, what they were 
doing and their perspectives were all uh, informed by their care of people and uh, they showed their commitment to that in the way, the respectful way that they cared for each other even in the, the conversation. Yeah, it just reminds me of our phrase here, to listen is to love. Um, and we heard that through that conversation, a willingness to hear each other's hearts and, you know, go from there as they engaged each other in that corridor. I, th I think it's a it's something to take note of as we come into this election as, and, um, and as we go past it. That it's, it's really important that we listen to one another. Like there's some really fiery debates that are happening at the moment. There's some really um, intense perspectives out there. Um, and the stuff we're voting on this election, it's really important. No bones about that. But I guess how we engage in conversation with one another is also vitally important. That we engage in love and that we show compassion for each other. Um, and that we seek to listen to one another's hearts. I think that's important to carry through this election and beyond as we're around the dinner table and as we're talking with friends, whether it be online or in person, that we actually see people, we see each other um, and we respect one another and we, we start there and then move forward. Another sort of takeaway I have is being glad. I've, I've sort of already made my decision and it was good to to listen to to the conversation but i felt that i but i was encouraged that even though i listened uh, and it didn't make me change what i had decided but i was encouraged that i could make my decision and other people could make a different decision than me and still be respectful to uh our maori whanau in this country that um that, that yeah just to hear hear from them how how they saw it from a te Maori perspective and that either decision um made when you're sort of caring for people that that can be be respectful of Maori as well uh Aaron, i know that you you haven't quite decided yet um what you're going to vote how did you what was your sort of takeaway that has it affected um, you're making that decision? Yeah, no, I'm still I'm still thinking it through. Um, but I guess it's solidified in my head the two sort of uh, points to wrestle with. And I think like they both said, you know, both Chris and Te Haranui both start from a position of wanting to care for our most vulnerable um, and wanting to show compassion through their vote. And I guess I'm just, uh, I just sitting here with this, the reality of this is a, this is a big decision and it affects real people. I think probably, you know, there was a time um, when I probably, because of my faith background and probably was the sort of more conservative tradition I grew up in, would have, ju would have just been like, nah, it's a no 100%. But I've definitely changed that perspective over time. And I guess, you know, like just listening to Chris there and listening to Haudenui, there's, you know, there's two groups of people here. There's the most, you know, vulnerable in our community and the potential risk. And it's saying I'm wrestling with that potential risk. Um, of harm to those people. But then on the other side, as Te Haranui was articulating, there is this, and please fact check this, <laughs> but I believe it's 2% of people that palliative care is just not working for um, and who will die in extreme pain and suffering. And those are real people. And when we are saying no, they will be affected. And so that's something to wrestle with, that tension between the two. Uh, and we have to make a decision. And, and I think that's something I really respected about Chris there at the end saying, hey, you know, if you get to that voting booth and your question is, actually, I am voting yes or I'm voting no because I want to look after the most vulnerable and it is this group that I am thinking about, then, it, you know, I think that's a good space to be when you're making that decision. And I think it holds a lot more weight than just, 
an abstract belief around this is wrong or this is right. I think it's really important in this corridor that we center those who are going to be most affected and we make our decision from that space. And as Chris said, that can lead you in either way. But I think the gravity of the decision um, needs to be felt. And we need to, you know, just remember, you know, for me, it's remembering that this is real people that we're talking about. I guess I'm also a little bit like, I think this is a decision that our politicians should have made. This is why we elect them. You know, this is their job um, to go awake and make these hard decisions to look at the research and look at, you know, what's going on locally and globally and, and you know, make law that they can believe in. And so I think it's a bit rough that, you know, me and you who are sort of got the time or the, the knowledge to really examine this on a deep, deep level, um, making these calls. Yes, it's really important to acknowledge the complexity and I think that's how we can make sure we're also staying respectful as well, understanding that it is difficult and there's a lot you can look into and there's a lot of people with um, valid perspectives on either side and so it was good to see um, that good um, quarter all happen here. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, I guess as we're heading closer to the election, um, yeah, let that be our takeaway. I think that's mine. Um, let's center those who are most affected by this and um, let's engage in these corridor in love and compassion. I think that's a lesson we can all hold on to in this very heightened uh, election environment we're in. But anyway, I think it's time for us to go. It seems to be about this time that Martin tells us we need to wrap it, wrap it up so we can hear that happening in the background. So we better go. Hey, thank you once again for joining us. Um, yeah, really appreciate you guys tuning in and Yes, keep having these conversations. You know, it's important that we have this, uh, these conversations, the important things that are happening. So, yeah, keep it up. Remember to listen to us talk. of silent the podcast rate and review us on itunes or wherever you are listening and join the conversation by following us on facebook twitter or instagram the music from this podcast is from the album dissonance by jess jackson and leon shelley listen to more from these artists on spotify